You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Waterloo. To find out more, visit oasiswaterloo.org. So Jill's going to be bringing that talk to us. Uh, we're currently looking at this series called Women of Holy Week, where uh, we're using the book by Paula Gooder. Some of you might have had this at home. Um, and we're looking at a different story each week. So uh, this week, we're going to be looking at the story of Susanna. Um, she's made the names up, um, but she's selected characters from Holy Week and has tried to kind of give us a bit of backstory about what might uh, have been going on in their life. So we're going to pick up Susanna's story. She um, grows up in a happy home. Um, On her wedding day, she's given a beautiful alabaster jar from her father, uh, who she loved very much and who loved her very much. Um, She goes to be married to uh, another man called Alexander um, and faces lots of abuse. Um, And eventually he kind of turns her out uh, and declares that she's a sinner and brands her as a sinner um, to everybody that knows her. It's quite a long reading, so it kind of gets settled. (laughs) One day... Joanna and her friend Mary from Magdala came to find me. They had met a man, a rabbi, they said, and I had to meet him. I flinched. I can't meet a rabbi. I'm a sinner. He'll know. I can't even meet my own father. How can I meet a rabbi? You'll see, said Mary. So I went with them reluctantly, every nerve in my body ready to flee at the merest hint that I'd been recognised. Mary and Joanna, sensing this, kept a firm grip on my arms, almost carrying me there. When we reached the house where Jesus was, there was a group outside, priests and Levites and Pharisees, muttering and gesticulating their outrage. I tensed. It wouldn't be long before they worked out who I was and drove me away. But they were so intent on their outrage that I passed right by without them even noticing. Inside the house, in the gloom, I glanced around in astonishment. This was not what I had expected to see. Gathered there were ordinary people, traders and farmers, daily labourers, and wait, surely not, some tax collectors. The crowd willingly moved up to let us in. At that moment, Jesus looked straight at me. Dear child, he said, your sins are forgiven. I opened my mouth to tell him that it wasn't my fault that Alexander had made it all up. I I wanted to tell him all my hurt and my anger and my loneliness, but instead found myself looking into his eyes. As I did, I knew that I was deeply and utterly loved, just as I am. I didn't need to explain. I didn't need to justify anything. I didn't need to be caught in Alexander's web of accusation and cruelty anymore. In an instant, it was gone and I was free. That day, I began following him with the 12 and a number of others, Mary and Joanna included. We used the money we had to help out, to pay for food and lodging when he needed it. Then a few days ago, we came to Jerusalem. Jesus and the twelve slept out on the sloping banks of the olive groves just below Bethany. Mary and Joanna and a few other women, including Jesus' mother Mary, found rooms in the city. This morning, as I left my room, for some reason, I felt in the bottom of my bag and pulled out my most precious possession, the alabaster jar. I stood there looking at it for a few moments. Just then, two women came out of the door the next door room, laughing as they went. I'd met them when we first arrived. 
One was called Sarah, and like us, had come over from Jerusalem, where she was staying for the festival. The other was Anna. Her face told a tragic tale of loss and grief and loneliness. But today, her eyes danced. She touched my hand briefly and gently. Love extravagantly, dear, she said, with your whole heart and soul and mind and strength. All of a sudden, I knew the special day had come. I ran up the hill to Bethany, arriving sweaty and out of breath. I had to push my way into the room where they were all dining. Jesus was in the place of honour, so I had to walk past them all to get to him. Before, I'd have been crippled by the shame of it, but not now, not today. All those years, I'd held onto the bottle. I'd never asked myself how to open it. You were meant to use it a few drops at a time, so it must have a lid. Oh, what did it matter? I was going to pour it all out anyway, so I smashed it. A sense of joyful elation bubbling around me as I did, and I poured it out. I poured it all over his head. I poured out my love and my gratitude. I poured out my joy and my freedom. I poured out my very self all over his head. It was an act of absurdity, but I knew that he would understand. The oil ran down his hair and his cheeks, down his beard and his neck, getting in his eyes and his ears as it went. So he had to rub it away with his sleeve and then his other sleeve. Its pungent smell filled the air. You could hear the muttering swirl around the room as one by one they realised the jar contained pure nard. Is she mad? That's a year's wages wasted. Just think of all the poor she could have helped. Someone should do something. Jesus looked right at me and winked. His enjoyment of what I'd just done was written all over his face. Oh, leave her alone, he said. Today she has anointed my body for burial. I tell you, wherever good news is proclaimed in all the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. I skirted the outside of the room as I headed to the door, a warm glow in my heart. Jesus had received my ridiculous, extravagant gift exactly as I had hoped that he might, better even. He'd said it would be remembered. He said I would be remembered and talked about forever. I didn't understand what he meant about burial. I've never seen anyone look more alive. But he often said things I didn't understand. I stored it away to think about later. I could hear them talking about me as I left. What was her name again? Asked one of them. Don't know. Mary, I think, said another. you Anna you kind of don't need a sermon after that reading do you but hey you're gonna get one let me just remove the uh, tissue it's lovely to see you you okay just like what not sure not sure um so it's great to be able to um Kind of continue on this journey that we've been doing in this uh, fantastic book that uh, Paula Gooder has uh, written. I wanted to actually call this um, uh, a window on missing the point 
this uh, talk, because um, to me that's what is, is really going on in here. But before we get going, let's start a little bit differently. Um, it's been quite a week, isn't it? Don't know if you find yourself just being exhausted by watching the news, like it's just shattering, isn't it, when you see everything that's happening. And um, maybe this week's been quite a tough week for some of us. Uh, we function like antennae, like we're on an open loop system. We pick up what is going on around us. So I just want to invite you to close your eyes just for a moment and to pause. I want you to notice your breath. Notice the feeling of the seat that you are on and how it holds you. Notice the feeling of your feet and the ground beneath you. Notice the feeling in your shoulders. Maybe there's some tension. Maybe you ache a little. Notice your breath again. And breathe in and breathe out. Breathe in and breathe out. And as you breathe in, you may want to um, imagine saying the words God within. And as you breathe out, God without. So breathe in and breathe out. Notice how you feel. Maybe even this minute and a half you realize this is the first time that you've been truly present to yourself in this last week. God within and God without. Love within love without. Take one more big breath. And when you're ready, open your eyes again.
And if you're asleep, that's fine. It's strange, isn't it, how we often just aren't present to ourselves, to one another, even to God. And as a result, we miss stuff. We miss stuff. Just want you to hold that thought because we're going to come back to it. We miss stuff and sometimes we miss the whole point of some things because we're just not in the room. We're just not present. I wonder if you can spot the frog and Dave Pye, you can't answer the question. you can spot the frog. Anyone see it? You've got it. You've got it. You've got it. Where is it, someone? Dorothea, did you say you could see it? Where is it? Say again. Top left. Can everyone see it? Can anyone not see it? You've all got it. Brilliant. Genius. So what we're going to do is in this story, and uh, Anna read to us, we're going to try and look into it and see maybe hopefully something that we've not spotted before. It's a well-known story, isn't it? Uh, it's the story of the uh, just before the Passover, uh, Mark, uh, it's in uh, three of the Gospels. Mark gives an account of it in chapter 14. Um, and there's this backstory to it. Um, Jesus is in a situation. The festival's going to take place at the Passover in a couple of days. And this woman, she's not named in this account, breaks open this jar. And the, the men in the room aren't happy. They're accusing her of it being a, a complete waste of money. Jesus says, leave her alone. And then in the final part of the chapter, we see this moment where Jesus says, actually, this is going to be remembered. Um, and then to the very finish of these verses, uh, we come across Jude, Judas, who goes off to carry out uh, his part of the story. So this account comes in part of this journey, this, this movement towards Jerusalem. A couple of weeks ago, Dan Chalk talked to us about Palm Sunday, and we learned about Jesus arriving into Jerusalem as king. So it's just before Passover, so there's like, it's like pre-Christmas. It's like there is a buzz. It's busy. The place is full of people. Everyone's in busy mode and religious mode. There is a lot going on. And we get this account of this meal. And the religious leaders are there. 
and they want to catch Jesus out. They want to silence him. They want to stop the search of this popular movement around Jesus who was turning everything upside down. So they're trying to find their way to stop Jesus. So there are the props, the religious leaders, the chief priests people, and there is Judas, who we just heard about as well. And then there's this woman. This woman is part of this story. She's the highlight of the story. She's got a backstory. She's identified as a sinner and she approaches Jesus in Simon's house. Now, the thing about this, like, there's things that we don't know because it's so different to now, but the houses were segregated. There was a place where the guys would be, and then there was a space where women would be, and you didn't cross those spaces, but she does. So she's courageous and daring, and she moves into the busy, noisy part of the house. Now, I just want you to imagine what that must have been like for her. She's desperate to do this act of pouring out what is most precious to her. But they're all gathered into this space. It's like being in your, in your front room. Everyone's there and Jesus is in the middle of it. It's not like she could just sidle up and no one notice. It's really public. She goes right up to Jesus. She's in the middle of the room. And then there's all these, the men in the story are there as well. And she's carrying an alabaster jar, which is full of this perfumed oil, which was really expensive and equivalent to a year's wages. It could have been her dowry. And she put, I just want you to imagine if you were in a restaurant and someone came in and did this. Someone comes in with this oil, this perfumed oil, and goes up to the person who's sitting in the middle of the restaurant or in the middle of someone's front room and pours this over their head. You know, like when you were a kid and you'd scream, I've got it in my eyes. You can just imagine, can't you, this oil running down Jesus's face, all through his hair, all through his eyes, all over his beard. There was nothing subtle about this act, nothing at all. It was messy and it was undignified. How would you react if you saw that happen? What if someone came in now and came up to one of us and did that? What would go through our heads? We'd probably be horrified. Like, what are they doing? 
kings were anointed with oil and so were priests and so were bodies when they were being prepared for burial so there's this woman with her story comes into this space and performs this just outpouring the most incredible act and then there's the men in the story and they do react they're angry they're shocked and they want her out they didn't want her to be in the room why probably i would imagine because they were embarrassed because that's to be honest how most of us would have felt and they were also angry because it was wasteful it could have been given to the poor absolutely true it could have been given to the poor but they were missing the point they were missing the point what they have done is they've jumped to judgment and criticism and anger and disgust and they miss the moment they miss the moment judgment always keeps us stuck in a partial view judgment always keeps us stuck in a partial view and all the way through these followers these people who were close to Jesus these guys who had been around Jesus had struggled all the way through to understand that the call of Christ was to the way of love and the way of non-violence not retaliation and in their heads they're in this week they're moving they're in Jerusalem they've got Jesus has come into Jerusalem and he's been proclaimed as king and everyone's celebrating him and they're like yeah it's gonna happen it's gonna happen and this beautiful moment happens and they miss it because they haven't quite got the fact that it was always meant to be about the way of love why did they react the way that they did why do I jump to judgment so often I think it's because we didn't think to do what we have seen done ourselves and so we offload our embarrassment and our discomfort why do we judge to judgment why do I judge to jump judgment jump to judgment it's easy for me not for me to say when we aren't fully present or tuned into the moment of what is actually happening why do we judge jump to criticism of people when they're doing something that we don't understand when we're too busy and caught up in our own agenda why do we jump to judgment sometimes it's when i'm sitting in a posture of i'm always right and others are always wrong why do we sometimes jump to judgment and completely miss the point it's when 
I've lost sight of the way of love and even replaced it. I've even replaced it with a sense of pride and piety about, yeah, but I'm really inclusive and I'm an activist and we're really progressive. Can you see like it turns up as a, I'm right. And it shows up in how I talk about others. Listen to what they said again. That, that could have been sold and the money given to the poor. Can you see how it sounds so right? It sounds so right. But then you see that they missed the love that was right in the center of the room. Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 13. If I give all I have to the poor, but I'm without love, I'm bankrupt. So the woman comes to Jesus with her backstory, wondering how is he going to react? And all of the men in the story observe this happening and react with judgment and criticism and doesn't she realize that money could have been given to the poor and then there's this moment and this way that they missed love right in the middle of the room What does Jesus do in this interaction? He slows time down. I don't mean literally slows time down. I mean, but it's like time slows down. Jesus is fully present to who is right in front of him. Jesus slows the moment down. There's all the criticism and judgment and undoubtedly the fear in the woman of what she is going to expect to receive from Jesus. And Jesus slows the moment right down and he sees And not only that, but he is seen by her. There is no judgment, no criticism, no anger, no get out, no rejection. She is seen and she sees Jesus. I want you to just think just for a moment. Jesus knew what was coming. You could predict what was coming. And he is seen 
by this woman? How was Jesus feeling about that week? How was Jesus working out what was going to happen? And this woman sees him. And Jesus makes himself fully present, fully present to this moment with this woman as she chose to show her love, her worship. And Jesus speaks to the others in the room and says, can't you see it? Don't you get it? It can only happen when we are fully, truly present. Judas, his mind was elsewhere. He wasn't fully present. He was already planning and thinking about how to hurry the cause along. How do we bring this thing to a head? How do we make Jesus be the hero that he is going to be and the one who's going to save us and drive out the oppressors and turn everything upside down? He's already not in the room. But she is. And Jesus is. And Jesus sees her and God sees us. No judgment. No rejection. No anger. No criticism. No get out. And the invitation to us is to do the same. The invitation to us is to do the same and follow the way of love ourselves. No rejection, no judgment, no anger, no get out. being truly present to the people that we are amongst and the people that we meet each and every day. Father Gregory Boyle puts it like this. Close both eyes. See with the other one. then we are no longer saddled by the burden of our persistent judgments, our ceaseless withholding, our constant exclusion. Our sphere has widened and we find ourselves quite unexpectedly in an expansive location, in a place of endless acceptance and infinite love. The invitation in this story is not to miss who is in the very middle of the room. The one who is love and who showed us the way of love.
and it takes us being truly present. You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Waterloo. To find out more, visit oasiswaterloo.org.